Welcome to Fire Talk Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit, with subjects on eternity and the choices we make that determine our eternal destiny. This message is non-copyright. Duplication is encouraged. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney? It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian, he led me to Christ, and I'm a Christian and I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony 
and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in Solwini, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbour for replenishment. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street, and <laughs> as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand, and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ, and I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains, and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end... The Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin, because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. And I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it. But I have done this for over 40 years. And in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections. 
But a lot of people courteously took the tracts. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine. I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor. But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Genor. And you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he <coughs> went home to when he arrived in glory. Welcome to Fire Talk Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit, with subjects on eternity and the choices we make that determine our eternal destiny. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Fire Talk Radio. I'm so glad you joined tonight, whatever part of the world you're listening from. Thank you for spending time with us at Fire Talk Radio. I'm really glad that you joined us tonight for Dr. Frank Summerall's Bible study. He's been teaching wonderful teachings from the book of Daniel. And tonight he's going to be giving us some more gold nuggets from Revelations. And he's a general in the Army of God. He's been in ministry for over 50 years and has a passion for people and souls. And I'm just delighted to be able to, to have this time with him and uh, and I know you'll be blessed as well. So um, I'm going to I'm going to answer the call uh, for Dr. Frank Summerall. And Brother Frank Summerall, you're on the air live. And, yes, thank you so uh, much. Thank you so much. You know, as the brother was talking about all the people getting souls, people coming to God, the scripture from Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, and they that shall be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So when he was talking about winning souls, that's what Daniel has to say. The The reason Daniel is so important is because it's all the way from 616 B.C., before Christ, all the way through to the second coming, where Jesus comes back with his saints. Not for his saints, but with his saints. So it's the only book that reaches that capacity and reaches to the extent of all the way from that time, time period of 616 B.C., all the way to the time where Jesus comes back with his saints. Now, what we're dealing with, we're dealing with Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, it is the vision that he has. But previous to that, we'll bring you up the scale just for a minute here, showing you that all the way through the Word of God has to do with the fact that Daniel, he was the one who prophesied and gave commentary having to do with the times of the Gentiles. 
That's what he was dealing with. Talking about that, you want to look a little further? Read Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1 to 10. You can read that. And there's other scriptures that would attest to the same thing, having to do with the fact and the knowledge of that area. Now, all the way from the rapture of the church, you can write this down, from the rapture of the church is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, to the revelation in Jude, verse 14. So he predicted the time period, the eternal kingdom of God, which will succeed these empires, as we will see here just in a moment here. In Ezekiel chapter 14, it said, Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, or Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Talking about all these things, and then down to verse 20. Even though Noah, Daniel, Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they would deliver either son or daughter. They would deliver themselves by their righteousness, the way they lived, the way they acted, the very thought patterns they had. So we see that Daniel was taken captive when he was a teenager, brought all the way to Babylon. And that itself was so amazing because he had the Spirit of God in him, and they recognized the fact that he was different than those other men. You do the study of that showing exactly what happened when he was a slave and brought all the way to Babylon from Israel. Something powerfully happened in that area and that thought. And so he had his young men with him. And notice the first thing they did in Babylon is they changed the name of the Hebrew name. They changed it to a Babylonian name. Now, see, the devil, he wants to do the same for you. He wants to change your name from healed to sick, blessed to poor, and confused to, you know, all that thing that what he wants to do, he wants to cause cloudy things to happen in your life. But... You know, Daniel says, no matter what you call my name in Babylonian, I'm still Daniel. God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. And so as this proceeds, it's one of the most amazing books in the Bible, not only the Old Testament, but one of the most exciting books in the Bible. And it, it is a book for right now that when we study these things, when we go over these things, it, it even talks about the, talking about the little horn, speaking about the Antichrist. And all the things that we have come up to at that point in time, it is so amazing. And then, of course, you find all the way through the very heart of Daniel, how that Daniel's passion was God, no matter what kind of said. If he was sent to the den of lions, that didn't bother him at all. He says, I don't care what you got to do. I'm going to open up my windows, and I'm going to pray like nobody's ever heard me pray. I'm going to be louder than ever before. I'm going to let the glory of God shine through me. And he was not afraid of the indictment placed upon him to be with the den of lions. Also, actually all the way back to the third chapter, you have those three Hebrew children that were in the fiery furnace. (laughs) Imagine that. As they were in the fiery furnace, they said, we don't know if God's going to deliver us or not, but we will not bow to the image that you've made. We will not bow. Because they had learned from Daniel's example how to follow the Lord God. And they honored him more than any other God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I'll give you a second chance. If you do it the second time, I still won't throw you in to the flames of fire. And they said, now, we don't care what you got to do, king. We know this, that we will not bow and we will not burn. And so as they were thrown in, king was so angry, he made the furnace seven times hotter than it ever had been. The men that threw them in died 
because the intense heat. But <laughs> as they were viewing this situation, they had it open. The king looks, oh, wait a minute here. Didn't we throw three men in the fiery furnace? And they all said, yes. He said, what's that fourth man? What is that fourth man? Well, I've got news for you. When your troubles, when your fires, when your temptation, when your trials, when your problems, when it comes above and beyond what you ever hope or think or ask or anything about it, the fourth man is going to show up, and he will be with you. <laughs> He'll walk with you through the fire. The only thing that was burned in that fire was the ropes that had tied them and had bound them. Those ropes were burnt off, so they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Their hair was not even singed in the tremendous inferno. Ah, glory to God. Then, of course, you follow that all the way through. That's Daniel 3. Daniel 4 had to do with the fact the monarch, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he got himself so far. He said, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And God had to bring him down, and God brought him all the way to the point to where he was actually crazy. He was insane. He was that way for seven years. He looked like an animal. He had the, the sweat of heaven upon him. And he said for seven years he was that way. And God brought that man back, brought his mind back, changed his body. Everything about him got changed because God's power was evident and real and wonderful at that juncture. He came back and started glorifying the God of heaven. Then, of course, what you don't know is the very fact that his grandson, Belshazzar, was a grandson, not a son, he was a grandson. Because they didn't have a name for grandfather at that point in time, so that's what they had done in history. And so he decided to bring out the uh, the emblems of the the worship that Israel had, the chalices that would hold the the grape juice, the chalices that were used in worship. He brought them out. And when that happened, God said, wait a minute here, you crossed the line. You have Belshazzar across the line, and he saw a hand writing on the wall. He said, meaning, meaning, took you farson. And no one could interpret that. And finally, it was the king's wife said, wait a minute here. We have a man down in the prison that we know that he can interpret dreams. So why don't we call him up? They called Daniel, and he knew exactly by the Spirit of God he said, this is what it means. And he gave them the information. He said, you're found wanting. You're in the balances and found wanting. Tonight your kingdom will be taken away from you. And that's exactly what happened. So not all of these stories are chronological because of that. When all of this took place from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 9, we find that God is trying to speak men, trying to get their attention. And in that, we see that about Daniel, we go into the seventh chapter, and in that seventh chapter, it tells us that the vision that he had was the vision that man, as opposed to God, comparing Daniel 2, you, you can do this later on, comparing Daniel 2 with chapter 7. In Daniel 2, we have the image of gold, that is Babylon. In Daniel 7, we have a beast. He looks like a lion with wings. And in Daniel 2, we have the arms, the breasts of the Medo-Persian Empire, and it's silver. And then 
noticing from chapter 7, it's the bear, the Medo-Persian Empire. The reason it had to do with the bear, because they were ruthless, they loved to spill blood, they loved to kill, they loved to destroy, they loved to torture, everything wicked about it. And then it talked about the three ribs coming out of Babylon, which were this. These were the three ribs. It was Babylon, it was Lydia, and it was Egypt. Then, of course, you have the Grecian Empire, which was notified by the bronze, the belly and the thigh. And their domain was all the way from Greece to India. Imagine that amount of miles in that situation. The one that brought that to pass was Alexander the Great. And at his death, the kingdom was divided into four generals. These four generals were over Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Egypt. And then this is talking about a nondescript situation. It's talking about, about Rome. All the way back here, it talks about Rome. And when it talked about Rome, it had to do with the fact of the old Roman Empire. So out of that empire are ten nations that will come. That's where we are right now, which is called the European Common Market. We're right here right now, right here today, in 2014, right now, right here, right now. So as we notice these things happening, God is wanting to speak to mankind. That's why we have come through this and studied it. And so as history is written in advance and all these things, all these empires are coming together, all these things that are coming to pass, then we look at chapter 9. And in chapter 9, what we notice here, very important, very powerful, very wonderful. This is the vision of the 70 weeks. And I'll begin reading in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. 70 weeks are determined for your people. Now notice your people. What is he talking about? He's talking about the land of Israel. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city. Yeah, the holy city is not New York. The holy city is not Chicago. The holy city is not Los Angeles. He's talking about Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. Oh, my, 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 my. What words do we, all the way from 10, talking about the ninth chapter, verse 24, these weeks are determined that way. We know the reason why Israel went into captivity is because they did not value and they didn't listen to God in the direction of Sabbath, that you were supposed to let your land lie idle for that period of time. And they would not do it. In Second Chronicles, we read in chapter 36, verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill those 70 years. So the people were commanded by God to allow the land to rest every seven years. And the rest was to last for one year. It was that year, so it would be necessary until the tilling of the soil during the seventh year. This commandment gave the land time to rejuvenate. The commandment had a consequence, disobedience and rebellion, would cause captivity as a result of this. In Leviticus, we read in chapter 26, I will scatter you, God said this, I will scatter you among nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate, your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath, as long as it lies desolate, you are in your enemy's land. And the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. 
Then also in the New Testament, it speaks about this. In Luke chapter 21, verse 24, it said, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all nations. And Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles. Put a circle around that word until. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now let me ask you a question. When were the times of the Gentiles fulfilled? That's prophetic. But all the way back here in the 1900s, when Israel became a state, 1948, that's when it stopped. That's when the city had come together. All the way back at that time, that's when Israel became a state. Then, when that took place in 67, 1967 it took place, that's when Jerusalem became its own owner. That they didn't have to kowtow to anybody, they had to bow to anybody. They owned Jerusalem in itself. And so, at one point in time, there were the Russians, the Jewish people, the Arab people, some of the Greek people. So all of the different peoples in that city, the city was so divided, taken away. I remember times, we lived in Israel in 1956, and uh, Dad was a preacher teacher. And uh, during 1956, of course, that was a Sunday war. So we were not there for the entirety. We were there like for six months. But as I remember as a boy, one of the things they had the children do is we had to take black paint and paint out all the lights. You say, well, what was the reason for that? Because when the enemy would fly over, they would not know whether they were flying over a city or a farm. They wouldn't know because it would be total darkness. That's the reason they did it. It was like camouflage. And so that was the thing that they had all the children doing. I didn't mind that at all, taking black paint, putting it everywhere. I, I, today, that would not be a good thing to do. Don't take your black paint and put it everywhere. It, that was done because the fact is they wanted to camouflage your cities at night. And so they, when they fly over, they couldn't find any light anywhere around. That was back in 1956 during the signing of the war. So while we were there, Dad uh, many times went down into the, Gaza, down in the Sinai, all the way down. And he was there because he had a degree in writing, and he was writing books all the time, writing books all the time. And so all of the information he had about Israel came from the times that he was there. He was there so many, many times. You know, something about Brother Summer a lot of people have never even heard of is that back in 1956, now this is with Pan American, which doesn't even exist anymore, the airline, Pan American Airlines, he had over a million miles back in 1956. Think of it. That man was going to the place, wasn't he? So we have traveled right inside of our blood. We've been going to the world for many, many years and seeing what God's doing. Now, as we follow this back in connection here, talking about the fact until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, we believe that is taking place in 1967 with Israel. When, when Jerusalem became, owned its own city, owned its own city. Then in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, he said, this whole land shall be desolation and astonishment. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon in 70 years. So that already happened. So all the people knew and understand how they were supposed to obey God. Moses was in ordered by the Lord to post laws plainly. The people knew they were supposed to do tithe and obey God and everything that, that they had mandated according to what was said by the priest. 
The priests were giving them information. Then, of course, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, it says this in verse 1, verse 8. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you will write in them all the words of this law, and when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord thy God is giving you. A land flows with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you crossed over the Jordan, Mount Ebal, you set up these stones, which I command you this day, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you will build an altar to the Lord your God. And the altar of stones you shall not use as an iron tool on them. You will build the whole stones, the altar of the Lord, your God, and offer the burnt offerings. And the Lord your God, you shall offer peace offerings and eat there. Rejoice before the Lord your God. And you will write plainly on the stones all the words of this law. So in Deuteronomy, it lists 21 blessings. Imagine that, for obedience in that chapter 28, verses 1 to 14. That chapter 28 continues and lists 15 curses for disobedience. They start at verse 15 and go all the way through to 68. Now, notice what it says. The Lord will bring you a king who will set over you as a nation, which you neither have any idea about. You don't have no clue about that. And so as that was processed, your fathers have not known. Therefore, you will serve other gods. Notice small g. That means they would serve the dreaming gods, the gods of wood, the gods of stone, the things they've been taught years and years ago, not following God Jehovah. And you shall become an astonishment and a proverb and a byword among all the nations where the Lord God will drive you. Verse 48, therefore you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he's destroyed you. I mean, God wasn't happy with him. And verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. That's when they came from Babylon. To the end of the earth, as swift as an eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, no show favor to the young. So around that period of time, we're talking about 606 B.C., the nation of Judah was taken by Babylon. They were required to serve 70 years of bondage. But now let's hear Daniel's prayer. Daniel prayed and he confessed. Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 1. From the first year, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lion of the Medes, was made king of the realm of Chaldeans. In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the numbers of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolation of Jerusalem. But I set my face toward the Lord God to make the request of prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and mercy with those that love him and with those that keep his commandments. We have said, notice that Daniel did not put himself aside and say, I'm the good good guy over here. You're the bad people over here. He always identified himself with the people he was around. He said, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded or paid attention to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to shame on our face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all of Israel, those near and afar off, the countries which you have driven them to, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which you set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all of Israel has transgressed in your law. We have departed so not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which you spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, bringing great disaster for under the whole heaven. There's never been any such thing as been done in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say all these other things, but I want you to look at just a few more verses here. It, now he comes to the point, he said, now, Lord, kind of slow down your anger, slow down your fury. Cause this thing, just, Lord, verse 17. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant. His supplication, for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear. Put your, actually, when with that word incline means it puts your, your, your mouth next to my ear. You can't get any closer than that. Put your mouth next to my ear. Incline your ear. Hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation. The city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and your city, your people, which are called by your name. My, 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 my. Daniel is considered an intercessor of the first order. Now, we talk about Moses. Moses was the intercessor. But Daniel, at the point in time, now this is interesting. I did a little study on this, that you will find the great intercessors. We have intercessors today here in America, that God always sets forth these people to pray and ask God to save the nation. This, whatever nation you're in right now, listening right now, there are intercessors in your nation that are crying out to the living God for mercy upon you. In our country today, there are intercessors calling on God for us today. We have to get that down in our spirit. That prayer is going up continually. Our prayers are not in any which way soever declined. We release those prayers in the name of Jesus. We release those intercessors in Jesus' name. That you would hear us, oh God, for this great country of America. Well, we have sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. We've failed you so many ways. We have failed you. 
My, 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 my. As we see the very power of intercession touching lives and hearts and beings. We feel your glory. We feel the blessing. We feel that. But, Lord, we pray for our great nation that it would come back to the truth. And your word declares the truth shall make us free. We need to be free, body, soul, and spirit. And the only way freedom can be accomplished is by and through the word of the living God. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We give you all glory. We give you all praise. We give you, we, we honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. And receive our prayers tonight from our heart. They're not written down in the book. They're from our heart. We cry unto the living God. And we notice through the scripture, as our tears have moistened our face, and our heart is reaching out to the living God, then, Lord, you will send blessing upon your children. You will send glory to your children. You will give us mercy. We call for mercy, O oh God. We call for mercy, O oh God. We call for mercy, O oh God. Have mercy on this land. Let it touch the pastor's heart. Let it touch the evangelist's heart. Let it touch the fivefold ministries and fullness. Father, we thank you right now that as we pray, you hear our prayer in the very heavens, that the prayers just don't ascend into empty space, but the prayers are directed to your heart, O oh God. I remember the song that says, praise waits for you, O oh God. Where does it wait? It waits for you in Zion. That's what it says in Psalm 65. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, as you pressed upon my heart as I was putting this message together, putting these thoughts together. What cut through my spirit was intercession is the most important thing that we as people of God can do. Maybe we talk about sin. Maybe we talk about the homosexual situation. We talk about other problems and things of that nature and anger and uh, hatred and killing and murder and everything. No, no, no. It's reaching out to the living God and letting our heart proceed before us, asking for mercy, oh God. Mercy, 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 mercy. Mercy, oh God, mercy. And you would touch, you would touch. And this, this afternoon, as that was proceeding through my spirit, about the middle of the afternoon, these thoughts, these ideas, these these uh, wonderful avenues of truth started flooding my life and seeing what our God was doing and touching. And notice what he said there. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servants, a supplication for the Lord's sake and cause that your face to shine on your sanctuary. I know a lot of churches they folded. They've stopped being a church. My God, have mercy. And again, verse 18, Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation, a city which you call by your name. We do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. Your great mercy. I'm thinking of that song right now. You possibly know what I'm thinking about right now. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. You change not. Your compassions, they fail not. As they have been, they forever will be. 
as the song goes, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Like I've said so many times, I don't sing too good with my mouth, but my heart sings better than my mouth sings. That's where we are right there. But, but, but did you hear that? Did you hear that? As you study, uh, Daniel was considered as an intercessor of the first order. The first order. And we need men and women today to be intercessors, calling on the name of the Lord, calling on his precious name. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And his power and his spirit and his glory and his majesty will flow upon your life and come through you until we understand that. We understand that. Oh, hallelujah. We told you a little bit about Ezekiel chapter 14. You read this in verses 14 to verse 20. We'd speak about these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, and how they, they did that. If those things came, Verse 20, even Noah, Daniel, Job, they would only deliver themselves. How? By their righteousness. By their righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, it says, The whole land should be desolation and astonishment. These nations have served the king of Babylon 70 years. And so when Daniel prayed, he included himself with the sinners in humility. He considered himself part of the guilty party. He said, I'm guilty as they are. I'm a man. I'm a man with clay feet. Now, statements made with Daniel's prayer. Number one, first, that God would hear the prayer. Secondly, God would forgive the sin of the land. Thirdly, that God would listen and he would pay attention to the prayer that we would pray. Fourth, God would take specific action regarding our prayer, that God will not push aside. He will not defer. He, he will not push aside. He will not push aside his children. Six, that God would do it for his own sake. And lastly, he would do it for his city, the people which are called by his name. Hallelujah. So powerful, wonderful, glorious. Now, as we noticed here just a while ago, that in those verses, Daniel 24 through verse 27, 70 weeks are determined for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, making them sins. And so it's situation having to do with reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophesy to anoint the Most High. That's amazing because what this is speaking about. Notice down to verse 26. It said, after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. That's when Jesus died. But not for himself, but the people of the prince who come up to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolation is determined. All this hasn't taken place. Then he shall confirm a covenant for many in one week. But in the middle of the week, now he, what he's talking about right now is the Antichrist. He's going to make the covenant. The end of the week, he's going to break it. Sacrifice. The wing of the denomination that makes the desolate and consummation, which is determined, is poured out upon the desolate. So this prophecy, as far as the dispensational truth goes, is concerning important prophecy about the Old Testament, which is talking about the Bible scholars that have studied this and gone over it in great detail. So that the prophecy is the key to all biblical prophecy. 
Now, the prophetic word here in the 70 weeks relates to exclusively to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. So many people misinterpret the prophecy, the one that deals with the Gentiles. Now, these weeks are weeks of years. You've got to study that. These are weeks of years rather than just specific dates. The 70 weeks of years are set apart from other periods of time and divided for a six-fold purpose. Here's the plan that God in mind. Number one, to finish the transgression. Now, all of these could be spoken of in a longer measure. Secondly, to make an end of sins. Thirdly, to make reconciliation to be reconciled for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is going to happen in the future. To seal up the vision. And then verse or number six has to do with the fact to anoint the most holy. Now, according to the interpretation of the vision, after the 62 weeks, that's seven weeks, that's 62 plus seven, which is 69 weeks of the year, or 483. See, all of Brother Dake does this. Brother Dake has all these computations and has all this information. You want to really get something, get a Dake Bible. A Dake Bible will really cause you to write there in your hands. Uh, 483 years, the Messiah would come. Then he would be cut off. This speaks of Jesus' crucifixion when he died in Calvary. Now, that 70th week that we're looking at just here primarily, and then from this, after speaking about this a little while, we would go right into communion because our time has been uh, challenged tonight. And so we're going to go into Holy Communion in about maybe five, six, seven minutes having to do with that area of time. Uh, I must say that next week we'll not be able to be with you on Monday or Tuesday because we have a conference, the River Conference. The Pastors Conference is in session uh, in the morning and then at night. From the 19th to the 26th, if you're anywhere within 10,000 miles, you ought to show up. <laughs> I'm expanding those, those uh, areas. <laughs> All right. Show up. Amen. Because if you show up, then God will show up. In the 70th week we have here, the final weeks of years, the seven years, is still to come. That's in the future. Still to come. It's the time of the last world ruler, the man who calls himself Antichrist. Now, to understand more about the Antichrist, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, and there's information in regard to the Antichrist. Now, somebody asked, asked me the question, is the Antichrist alive? He could be alive. That's very possible but he has not come to power. In the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, notice having to do with the fact that this is the Antichrist speaking these words in blasphemy. And this source and his power, notice that. He has a wound in his head, a deadly wound was healed. This is verse 3. And all the world will wonder after this beast. This is a man. This is Antichrist. And they worship the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto him? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. And power was given to him to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, Almighty God, 
to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and to them that dwell in heaven. Notice. So his war basically was against the saints of God. And notice in that one chapter, the 13th chapter, it talks about him. So as we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we will have the opposite here in that particular direction. We will have the Antichrist. And then we will have the beast. And then you will have the false prophet. So that is an unholy trinity. Unholy trinity. That in itself would explain something about him. Several places through the scripture mention about the Antichrist. It also tells us that in these days in which we live, there was an Antichrist spirit. That we're seeing that foment, we're seeing that happen on earth today by some of the things that are said, even from pulpits. It's an Antichrist spirit. Antichrist spirit that has to be broken in the name of Jesus. And by the blood, <laughs> thank God for the blood. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. So we're going to just stop right there because we have continued through that. But the next time that we meet together, not this coming week, the week after, we will be in Daniel chapter 10. And that talks about spiritual warfare in the heavens, cosmic warfare. That's a very powerful chapter. So it's been good being with you right now. And so as we continue, we're going into receive the Holy Communion. Uh, there's a scripture I'd like to read to you there. First uh, Corinthians, if you would turn with me. First Corinthians. Oh, I've enjoyed myself, Sister Karen. Hallelujah. It gets better all the time, folks. It just gets better all the time. In 1 Corinthians, this is in chapter 5. This is some that have not spoken about this particular situation having regard to the Holy Communion, but it does mention this and talks about this, how important it is for us to know and to watch and to understand. All right? Uh Beginning in verse 6 of that, it says, Your glorifying is not good, knowing that you're not the little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. Purge out there from the old leaven, that you will be a new lump. As we are unleavened. Then it says this, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So let us keep the feast. Let us with the leaven either with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we have before us the emblems. We have the bread, which we receive right now. It's really interesting how wonderful that Jesus is called the living bread. Born in the house of bread, Bethlehem, the living bread has come to dispense to mankind healing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're sick in body anywhere, I want you to take your your piece of bread and hold it in your hand. 
Father God, we thank you that in the name of Jesus, your son, he was wounded. With his stripes, we're healed. All of the wounds upon him, in his hands, in his feet, spear in his side, crown of thorns on his head, the lacerations through his body, all of the wounds, all of the wounds, they're efficacious. And so we will see these wounds in heaven. We will see the wounds of Jesus in heaven. And now as we partake of this bread, you said your body is for our healing. And so we receive that, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, shall we eat. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Then take the cup. Jesus said, the cup is the New Testament in my blood. Drink you all of it. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for the supreme sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. Lord, we drink in victory. What happened on the cross? You've been set free by your power and by your blood. Hallelujah. Shall we drink together? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, we've had a blessed time, I tell you. The enemy didn't want us on tonight, but we decided that we would stay on. And we are still standing, standing, standing. So as we came through Daniel and did the Holy Communion, we just released ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And I believe the words that we spoke came from God, the Holy Spirit, came through that, through this vessel, through this vessel of clay. Again, I want to just pray for those that some of you, maybe you've just tuned in lately that you didn't have your your communion ready. I just want to say a a short prayer over you right now. The Bible says the prayer of the righteous avails much. So receive the prayer that I pray for you. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, all those that are listening right now in whatever country, in whatever city, in whatever condition, in whatever problem, in whatever need, and whatever desire, that you would fulfill that. In the name of Jesus, you would heal those that need healing. You would deliver those that need deliverance. And you would bring to peace those that need your peace. Thank you for your power and your glory and your majesty. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you. I'm glad I'm sitting down because the spirit of God is on me right now. It's flowing through me right now. And I'm sure some of you there are feeling the anointing of God, his power, his presence, his love, his peace, his joy, his righteousness. Hallelujah. 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 Want everyone out there to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. That's better. One more time. Hallelujah. Hey. I've often said this, and I'll say it again. The reason why we say let the redeemed of the Lord say so, because we have something to say. 
We have something to say about our master. We love him. We serve him. We praise him. We adore him. Hallelujah. Wherever you are, just raise your hands and give him all praise and all glory. Thank you, Lord. Oh, he's such a good God. Such a good God. Such a good God. We'll bless his name forevermore and evermore and evermore. We can never praise him enough, you know. We can never praise the Lord enough. I, I, I look through the scripture and I find every scene in heaven, what they are doing is worshiping the Father. They're worshiping the Father. So Jesus said in the disciples' prayer, he said, let earth be as heaven already is. And so when we bring that to the attention around about us, I'm not saying that is a formula for prayer. I'm just saying Jesus said he taught his disciples how to pray. The disciples' prayer, Jesus' prayer is in John 17. He said, Father, I've taken all these from the ones you give me. I've released them to you again. John 17. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right here, right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just wish I had a little more music in me. I, I got uh, <laughs> because I've got so many songs coming through there. Well, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Thank you for being with us. Join us again, not this next coming week, the week after that. We will be with you. Again, we will speak and address the fact of healing is the children's bread, and then we will go back into Daniel. So good to have you with us. God bless you, body, soul, and spirit. Bye now.